Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's time for Next Gen Friday. We are so excited about the future of our fellowship that we highlight the 40 and under pastors of CFM. We hope you are inspired by the deep bench of pastors and leaders coming up around the world. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. I want to preach a message this morning out of the book of Job, chapter 1, entitled Surviving the Tsunami. Tsunami is an arrival or occurrence of something in overwhelming quantities or amounts. I'd like us to travel back this morning to the land of us, U-Z, the land of us. We only know that it was a real place somewhere in the east, and this story that we're going to read took place during the time of the patriarchs, where, which is where most people believe, most scholars believe that Job was alive either just before or during the time of uh, Abraham. And so it's, we're going way back. In fact, the book of Job is, uh, according to almost every scholar, the first book probably written, actually put down uh, in the entire Bible. And so it's the oldest book that we have, if you will. There was a citizen of this land who had the respect of everyone. He was blameless. He was upright. He was a God-fearing man. And he lived a clean and upstanding life. This man had 10 children. He had fields of livestock and an abundance of land. He had a household of servants and a substantial amount of wealth. Nobody in those days would have argued that this man named Job was, the great, was one of the greatest men of the East. He had earned that title. And he had earned it through years of hard work and very honest dealings with others. In fact, his name would have become synonymous with the idea of integrity or godliness in those days. So here we have this man, and then without any sort of announcement or any idea of anything that was going to take place, avert adversity crashed down upon him like a tsunami. Job was minding his own business one day when suddenly a distraught servant runs up to him. His livestock was stolen. His crops and his land was destroyed. His servants were killed. And as if that wasn't enough, the next piece of news that came one after the other, wave upon wave, was that all of his children died in a tragic accident. Now I would plead with you this morning, even if you've heard the story before, to stop and try to put yourself in the shoes of Job. Try to put yourself And contemplate what in the world would be happening to you if this was happening to you. Let's not just look at it as a story that's just foreign and just distant from us. But let's bring it close to home and let's contemplate 
and try to identify with this great man that is being crushed beneath the weight of adversity. And I'm going to read this, but I want you to think as I'm reading it, I want you to think about if this was you. Job chapter 1, verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came And said the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking. Yet another messenger came. And said your sons and your daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on them and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Think about what Job is going through right now and contemplate how would you respond if this news had just been delivered to you? All of your resources gone, all of your savings gone, your business is gone, and now your 10 children are dead. Now let's look at how he responded. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. How could anyone handle such a series of grief-laden ordeals so calmly? I read this and my mind just goes, what? Like, I'm sorry, man. Can we be real for a minute? Like, one of these things happens to me and I'm just, I'm gone, man. I'm out. Like, I checked out at the first messenger. I would have passed out, and the second messenger would have had to revive me if he was going to tell me what happened next. That's real, right? But this is wave upon wave upon wave upon wave that is coming and crashing over him and his wife. Job and his wife have just experienced two different enemies attacking them in the same day. The Chaldeans and the Sabians decided randomly from two different parts to just let's go and attack Job's fields and kill his servants and take everything he owns. And then what you might call two different acts of God. One of them comes and says, fire fell from heaven. And the other one says, a great wind came from the desert and wiped out the house. And you're sitting there looking at this. One of these events would have been tragic, but Job and his wife are experiencing all of them at once. Think about the aftermath. 
complete bankruptcy. Everything they had is gone. And Job and his wife are now experiencing the most excruciating pain a parent can feel, which is the loss of a child. But it's not just that. They're mourning the loss of 10 children at once. They're not just talking about having to go and dig a grave. Talking about having to dig 10 graves. Having to put 10 of their beloved children into the ground. And then on top of that, they were partying together when this happened. Remember what Job's greatest fear was. The Bible says he opens up, the the whole narrative opens up by saying that Job and his children would feast all the time. They'd throw these parties. uh, And Job, he he would make sure he would go when the feast was over and he would have them purify themselves and he would offer a sacrifice so that they, just in case, while they were drunk, they cursed God. Before the party was over, they died. Job didn't have a chance to make a sacrifice, and now he is left wondering, were they right with God when they died? Yet we read that in spite of all of this, he worshiped God. How is this possible? How did he keep his mind and heart right in the midst of all of this? How did he keep from drowning in the sorrow and anguish of these events? How did he ward off the bitterness or ignore, even might we say, the potential suicidal thoughts that would be tempting him? What's the point in living? You might be thinking to yourself, well, surely the the, the worst is over. What more could happen? I mean, they've pretty much lost everything in their lives. This is bad enough, but it's not over. Because there's another wave about to strike Job and his wife. And as they're mourning the loss of their livelihood, as they're burying their children, Job's own health begins to fail. His body is afflicted with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head, the Bible says. And then the Bible comments that Job took a piece of broken pottery and he scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. This seems to be the straw that broke the camel's back for Job's wife. You know, it's interesting to me, we don't hear from Job's wife after the children die. We don't hear from Job's wife after the calamity of all the other things. We hear from Job's wife at this point when her husband, husband's health begins to fail. And I contemplated that for a minute because she comes to him and she says, do you still hold fast to your integrity Curse God and die. And I think it's important to note uh, that Miss Job had been through more than any of us will probably ever be through or ever will go through in our lives. Some people might be able to say that they have uh, done, that some of these things have happened, but a lot of times it's spaced out over a long period of time. You know, they're looking back at 50 years and they're saying, this happened to me, then this happened to me, and then this happened to me, and it's spaced out, but this is all coming, crashing down on her at the same time. And not only that, but while her husband still had health and still had strength, there was still hope for the future. I mean, think about this. She lost everything, but as long as her husband is still healthy and strength uh, and has strength, uh, then they could start all over, right? They could, the, the same man that built the original dynasty could rebuild the dynasty. 
right? He could, he could go out and do what he did before and find the cattle and he could raise the sheep and it might take some time, but there's, there's still hope for us, right? Man, it's a horrible situation, but we could, we could restart a family. We could, we could start over again. We could, not, not making it any better, but it's, it's a glimpse of hope, right? There's just a little bit of hope out there. But when his health fails, when he himself can do nothing but sit in a pile of ashes, the Bible say, says, and scrape the sores that are covering his body from foot all the way to head, She's looking at that and she's saying, no, 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 now this, this I can't handle. Let me take this a little bit further because Job is now sick and there are no servants to serve him, which means his wife has become his primary caretaker. Being a caretaker is very difficult. There is a lot of weight on caretakers. There's a lot of weight on people. We, you're taking care of elderly. Maybe it's your mother or your father or maybe it's somebody that you are helping out. When you're a caretaker, somebody gets injured in an accident, there's, there's, there's an added weight to everything that happens in life because you become so consumed with their health that you're not even considering your own at times. You don't have time to consider your own. You just got to make sure the medicines are given at the right time. You got to make sure uh, that all of their needs are met. You don't even have time to process your own needs. I remember when Sarah got in the car accident back in 2018, and she was going to uh, be in bed, they, they thought, from between two and three months, just bedridden, wouldn't be able to move, uh, and the, the doctor pulls me aside in the midst of this. I'm just trying to process the fact uh, that my wife may never walk again. I'm trying to process the fact uh, that it's possible uh, that she is going to have at least three months where she's, you know, who knows what's going to happen. I'm just trying to process it, and the doctor says to me, son, let me tell you you something make sure you take care of yourself I'm like I don't what do I have to do with this like it didn't make sense to me at the moment right I'm thinking no 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 I don't need to take care of myself I need to take care of her like I was the last one on my mind but it only takes a little while to realize what he meant because you end up running around and, and expending all of your energy as a caretaker that there is no care for your own soul, for your own physical body. I had help. I had lots of help. I had amazing help, and I got worn down. Job's wife has no help. She is the primary caretaker of her husband now, and she's watching Somebody she loves that is suffering under insurmountable pain. She is watching somebody she loves. And there's nothing harder than watching somebody you love suffer and go through painful experiences. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can't give them more pain meds. You can't, you can't, there's nothing you can do. You can't say anything that makes it better. You're just helpless. You're just watching somebody you love suffer. How did Job keep his head in all of this? How did Job keep his heart right? And the greater question is, how did he maintain inner peace when his outer world was crumbling around him? Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, 
and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. When life pushes down on you, crushing you under its weight, you really find out what's inside of you. Something about being squeezed and crushed by the pressures of life. Stuff starts coming out. Words come out. Thoughts come out. Things you never thought of before. Things you didn't even know were inside of you start coming to the surface. You start wrestling with realities of who you really are. What you really think. You, didn't, you weren't forced to think about it before, but now you have no choice. With Job, we find out the source of his peace through the words that he speaks. You know, our words give shape to our thoughts. They reveal the contents of our hearts. And it's important to know, in this worst case scenario, how Job managed to survive. Because through his words, we can identify what he believed about himself, what he believed about God, and what he believed about his present circumstances. What I want to do this morning is highlight a couple of those things that I pulled from the story of Job that I think maybe we could grab onto. And you might not be going through a tsunami right now. Maybe you want to file this sermon away. Because one day you will feel like you are under the waves of a tsunami. The first thing that Job did was he grieved. And I don't want you to overlook this. I almost overlooked this. Yesterday, this was not a part of the sermon. (laughs) This morning, I read the story and said, wait a minute, that is one of the most important parts of what Job did. Job grieved. Job's first action was instinctive. It was emotional. And it was absolutely appropriate for his circumstances. He began by grieving his loss. The Bible says in Job 1.20, at this, Job got up and he tore his robe and he shaved his head. This is the internal, very real internal pain that is coming to the surface. You have to grieve loss. Please listen to me. You have to grieve your loss. Do not shove it under the carpet. Do not try to act like everything is okay. Do not try to put up a front and say, well, I'll deal with this later. All you're going to do is push your grief down the road. It'll travel on the journey with you. There is a season to grieve, and you have to take advantage of that season. You must grieve when it's time to grieve. 
It is appropriate for you to grieve when it's time to grieve. I know too many people that they have loss, incredible loss in their lives, and they don't stop. They just want to act like everything's okay. They're, yeah, I'm okay. And they want to be all bubbly and try to act like everything's good. You just lost a major portion of your life. Can you stop for a minute, please? And acknowledge the real pain that's there because you're going to have to acknowledge it at some point. Job grieved. And then Job worshiped. In his mourning and grief, he began to worship God. His grief was mingled with worship. He fell to the ground in worship. This is critical because it's not just about grieving in the sense of I'm going to go down a rabbit trail of, of my own uh, pity and loss, uh, and I'm going to just focus on all of this pain that I'm going. No, 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 no. That's not what we're talking about. You grieve it with the pro- in, through the process or mingled with worship. This is critical. It was not just a song that he sang, but he worshiped in spirit and truth. This was not just, you know, oh, let me just sing a song. <laughs> Listen to the words of worship that he sang, right? Listen to his worship. Listen to the content of his worship. He fell to the ground and said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. He's not sitting there trying to act like nothing just happened. He is being so straight up with God right now. He's like, man, I just lost all my possessions and all of my dignity. I have nothing left, but you gave it to me and then you took it away. He's acknowledging that no matter what happens, God is worthy to be praised. That's what he's doing. In his grief... He's not going down a rabbit hole of self, right? He's not, he's not isolating to a, a, a place where, where no, no, there's no God involved. God is mingled in this. God, I do not know why or what is going on right now. I am hurting. This is bad. I've been stripped of everything. But God, you are worthy to be praised regardless of what is happening in my life right now. I was so blessed yesterday at the going home celebration of sister norma and what a testimony of just a woman of god a woman of prayer you know i had this thought and this is i just have to say this one of the things that has been heavy on me over the last couple of years is you know there's a loss and we each individually feel a loss uh with people that have gone on to be with jesus and there's a celebration of life but you know, I realized yesterday is that what we're, you know, the, the, one of the biggest problems is we're losing prayer warriors. These people got a hold of God for us. Like, do you understand how much they were holding us up by their prayers? I mean, you can go back and think about these people that have passed and think, man, they prayed. <laughs> Who is going to rise up? And fill in those shoes of those prayer warriors that in the spiritual realm are holding us all up. Anyway, she's calling her brother. Her brother was intubated. He was, uh, in, had COVID. He was intubated. He finally starts to get better, and, and he's, um, she's texting him the whole time, scriptures and encouragement, and I'm praying for you, and calls him, and he's not answering, calls him, he's not answering, and finally he picks up the phone. He can barely breathe, 
And he's like, hello. <laughs> and she said, oh, good, you're breathing. Remember to worship the Lord. That's what she said. Oh, you're breathing? Remember to worship the Lord. <laughs> oh, good, you're breathing. That's all you needed, worship the Lord. <laughs> Just like that. It, yes, this has been hard. <laughs> yes, you got a lot of growth. Yes, there's a lot of things you, but remember to worship the Lord. Job claimed God's loving sovereignty. That would be the third thing I'd point out to you. Job claimed God's loving sovereignty. In his worship, he claimed God's loving sovereignty. Sovereignty is, means that God is supreme. It means that he has all power, that he has all authority. He is in control. Job sincerely believed that the Lord who gave had every right to take away. That it was God's prerogative to both give and to take away. Job said the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. And then he stated to his wife, he said, shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? There's an understanding that my God is sovereign, that he has all power and all authority over my life and over this entire universe. Job would not dare lift his clay fist towards God to question the potter's plan. He is reaffirming the Lord's right to rule over his life in the midst of the hardest moment of his life. It's one thing to say God is sovereign when everything's good. It's another thing to come to grips with a sovereign God when everything's not good. And that's what Job did in the midst of the hardest moment, not just of his life, but probably of any man that has ever lived. And he survived the tsunami. What did he do? He grieved, he worshiped, and then he claimed God's loving sovereignty. But it's not just his sovereignty. Job knew that the God of all creation was both sovereign and loving. You can know he is sovereign, but if you don't know he is loving, you'll process life all wrong. He firmly believed that God's sovereignty was laced with his love. Romans 5.5, Paul tells us uh, that hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see, for the believer, our hope comes from the revelation of God's loving sovereignty. Two things that every one of us must settle in our hearts beforehand, I would tell you, is that God is sovereign and God is good. God is sovereign and God is good. The next thing I'd like to point out from Job's life is that he counted on the promise of resurrection. I've learned that it is in times of our most profound suffering that we gain the greatest revelations about ourselves and about God. Some of these revelations that Job had were unbelievable. They, they were prophetic, if nothing else. Listen, Job didn't have a Bible to reference the promises of God, right? He didn't have the Abrahamic covenant to look to. There's no reference of it anywhere in the book of Job. So as far as we know, it wasn't even there or it wasn't news enough to travel around to Job's part of the world if he was alive at the same time. So Job is referencing something much deeper than that. And he says uh, in chapter 19, he says, uh, for I know that my redeemer lives 
And he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God. These truths and these revelations came through his relationship with God. Like Jesus told Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, son, but my Father in heaven. That his relationship with God, even in the midst of suffering, there was a download happening. That God was giving him revelation that was saving and salvaging his soul. It was keeping him healthy in the midst of the hardest time of his life. He's now looking forward. He's seeing the hope of redemption, the hope of resurrection. His gaze is forward. He is counting on the Lord to make all things new in the life to come. He is believing that a time will come when all pain and death and sorrow and tears would be removed. In other words, he endured today by envisioning tomorrow. Finally, I would say Job confessed his own lack of understanding. How did he get through this? Job confessed his own lack of understanding. Listen to his admission of this fact. Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. And then verse three, therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. You know what Job is doing that is so critical is he is confessing his inability to put it all together. He rested his case with the righteous judge. And what a relief this brings because there's nothing more stressful than trying to answer the whys of the tsunami. Yet it is the greatest temptation in the midst of chaos. Why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? That's the greatest temptation we face. And what happens is we add a level of stress to what we're already going through. Because we're not just having to go through what we're going through. We're not just experiencing the pain of what we're going through. But now we're trying to figure out why we're going through it. As if we have enough mental capacity to process both at one time. So we end up going crazy. And Job sits back and he goes, you know what? I really don't know what's going on or why it's going on. <laughs> like I, I surrender. <laughs> I surrender. I don't understand the riddle of my circumstances. And this is where faith kicks in and begins to believe and trust God without an explanation. You know, we can't give or accept oversimplified answers to the complex situations that life brings us. We don't, these things are so complex, platitudes are worthless to us. And that's all we're going to come up with if we spin the wheels of our mind trying to figure out what's going on and why is it happening. What we're reading this morning is Job's method for maintaining peace in his heart while chaos surrounded him. That no matter what was happening on the outside, by faith, he found God on the inside. And he held on to God, even as the waves of the tsunami came crashing down. On the outside, there was total chaos, but inside, there was peace. There was a blessed assurance. There was a blessed hope. And you look at him and you go, how, Job? How can you just seem to be so peaceful? And th- your life is all the way turned upside down. And you're, you're just, 
How? How do you have peace? It is peace that it, it goes beyond our ability to understand in the midst of everything he's going through. God is surrounding him in the midst of the tsunami of life. And that's how we find peace. I'm going to tell you something. If you can find God, then you can find peace. If you can find God in the midst of your tsunami, you can find peace. Now, I was thinking about this this morning with Job's wife. The reason why she lost her peace, I believe, is because she lost God in the midst of the storm. Curse God and die. This is not the statement of an evil woman. This is this utterance of a grieving, broken woman who lost God in the midst of chaos. And when our life starts spinning around and there's no peace in our hearts, it's because we lost God. We lost God in the middle of it. And she's saying, curse God and die. She's lost him. And so when she lost God, she lost her peace. Now there's an outburst. Do you think that in her heart she really felt that? Do you think that, no, the weight of the world is crushing it. She loses sight of God and then she loses her peace. Job said, you're you're acting like one of those foolish women right now. Right now when we need God more than we ever have before, you're going to lose him? You're going to lose him right now? Right now when we need his strength and we need his peace more than ever, you're going to lose him? As believers, we don't find peace when the storm is over. We find peace everywhere, at any time, and in every circumstance. Mark chapter 4, there's this, Jesus is on the boat with his disciples, and there's this huge storm raging, and it's just chaos, and Jesus is down below, sleeping on a pillow. They think they're going to die, and they're sleeping. And you know what they had to do? If they wanted peace, they had to find Jesus. And they found Jesus, and they found peace. And Paul tells us in Philippians 4 verse 7 that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.